Pastor Sam started last week in a sermon series called Your Time Is Now. And we specifically named it that because your time is now. The scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Didn't say sometime next week, but guess what? It's really cool because when you wake up tomorrow, guess what? It's still today, right? Today is the day of salvation. So this morning as we talk through a few things, recognize that we didn't come to church just because it's Sunday morning. I know there, there are people that it's just their habit. They go to church on Sunday morning. But we did not come to church just because it's Sunday morning. We came to connect with God. Amen. Right? And if we don't come in and hear something that the Lord is speaking to our hearts and allow Him the opportunity to, to tweak us, change us, save us, whatever it may be that we need, we could have slept in on Sunday morning. You ever slept in on Sunday morning? Don't lie because we don't see all of you every week. Sometimes sleeping in feels good, doesn't it? So when we come to church, when we get together and we worship together, and we study the Word together, I want there to be an impartation. I want there to be an opportunity to connect with the Lord in such a way that He is changing us. Because we didn't just come into this relationship with Jesus for me, it was September the 22nd, 1987. Come into this relationship, and then for all of these years, until we go to heaven, just stay the same. We should be continually growing and coming into that place where we're more and more expressing the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. I don't like these things. That's not the story, but I don't like these things. Either uh, the other pastors have big ears and I have small ears, or they have gigantic ears and I have big ears. I don't know. It never stays on me well. It just never wants to stay on me. And I had it all fixed, and Pastor Sam said, Lisa, reach over there and, and hug him. All right, he told me to hug her. Well, she hugged me and slapped it off of me. <laughs> That's like, I just had it in the right place. And if you only knew how hard it is to get into the right place. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of being a pastor, right? In Colorado, way up in the mountains. Anybody like the Colorado mountains? Amen. It's pretty, isn't it? Way up in the mountains. Way back off of of these hiking trails, there was a tree. And this tree had been there longer than anybody could remember. They'd started keeping records on, on that tree at least a hundred years ago. And this tree had survived these harsh Colorado winters. This tree was the lone survivor of a forest fire that raged through this, this part of the state at one time. And it was documented that this tree has survived 14 lightning strikes. 
the people started referring to it as the indestructible tree. But one spring, after the thaw had happened and people could get up to this, this, this part of the mountain, they got up there and they saw that the tree had died. It was dead. It had fallen over. Now, it had survived forest fire. It had survived the harsh winters. It had survived the lightning strikes. But when they went and looked at this tree, it had died because a very small beetle had gotten in and eaten it from the inside out. Sometimes, in our Jesus walks, sometimes, in our relationships with the Lord, we look like we've got it all together on the outside. I smile just right. I shake hands just right. I tell good stories. Oh, everything's good. But then sometimes on the inside, there's just something eating away. And we don't want to be dead, physically or spiritually, because we're letting something eat away at us. So, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it tells us, Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard. Catch the foxes before they ruin the vineyard. And I think it's a little bit ironic that, that Solomon wrote that because in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, it says of Solomon that he loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he made offerings and sacrificed at the high places. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been studying in, in 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. And the Lord started showing me some things. I really didn't expect to be preaching this uh, this soon because I like to let some of this stuff kind of marinate. You know, I want the Lord to minister it to me fully before, you know, I, I try to get up and, and talk intelligently about it. I know some of you are saying, well, we've never heard you stand up and speak intelligently yet, so why start now, right? But I've been studying, okay, sorry. I've been studying these things and, I, and looking after David, Israel and Judah had 40 kings. And of those 40 kings, only 11 of them even came close to following the Lord. And of those 11, only two, does it say, completely, with all their heart and with everything, do what the Lord had told them to do. And this is, this is what grabbed my heart as I was going through these, these scriptures. It said of nine kings, these nine kings, it says they followed the Lord. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except they didn't remove the high places. 
So what were the high places? What were these things that they, they followed the Lord, but they didn't do this. They didn't take down the high places. And as we look through scriptures, we look through uh, the Old Testament, we realize that the high places were places of worship. Unauthorized places of worship. Mostly they were dedicated to, to, to other gods. Some of them so vile like uh, uh, Baal, thank you, and, and, and Moloch. We're in, in, in worshiping these gods. They actually took the firstborn son and sacrificed him. And then there was the goddess Asherah. Where to, to worship in her temple, they had, they had prostitutes, male and female prostitutes there, and that's how you worshiped. Now you wonder how Solomon, who built the temple of God, he built this beautiful building, probably the, the, the most extravagant building on the face of the earth. To worship God. But yet it says about Solomon that in his later days he was building these high places for his wives. How do we go from the place where we, we, are, we are so consumed with worshiping God? All we want to do is worship God. All we want to do is make this connection with God to the place where we've Slipped away from that passion. Now, I don't know about you, because you're probably much more holy than I am. I have my seasons. There are times when I'm just psycho insane passionate about Jesus. I mean, just, I can't wait to be in the presence of the Lord. I can't wait to get back in the Bible. I can't wait to be praying. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then there comes those times when I really have to make myself do it. I don't feel that passion. Oh, and the word's not really just jumping out alive at me like it is at other times. You ever have those? Sometimes, maybe. So it's easy to look back at these, at these kings and say, how did you get there? How did they go? Israel... And Judah, after they split, they, they had this testimony of a faithful God. They had this testimony of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the testimony of Joseph in Egypt. They had the testimony of being delivered from, from slavery. They had the testimony of God opening up the Red Sea and swallowing the army of the enemy. They had the testimony of God feeding them in the wilderness. They had the testimony as they moved into the promised land of God causing the cities to fall before them. They had the testimony of King David as a boy fighting a giant. And they had the testimony 
of David and his mighty men, all the exploits that they did. Yet, one generation, we're not talking hundreds of years later, we're talking from David to his kid. The passion for the things of God had already started to slip. So it's easy to look back at them and go, how did they do that? How did they mess all that up? Look at all those things God was doing for them. How did they mess that up? How do I mess it up? They were human. We're human. Whenever we allow these, these, these little things to begin to gnaw on us, to eat away at us, our passion for God begins to slip. So we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Just three questions and we'll be done. Question number one. Have I given myself permission to have a casual attitude towards sin? Now, I have a casual attitude toward eating correctly. And towards working out and doing these things that uh, I'm supposed to be doing. Right? I know things I'm not supposed to put in my mouth. Yet they find, they just hold me down and force open my mouth and jump in there. I don't know how that works. I have two girlfriends. I'm standing up here before you and I'm confessing that I have two girlfriends. Chips and salsa. And as long as we're piling on, there's this kryptonite called donuts. That Dan and Ken, the messengers of Satan, show up every Sunday morning with. <laughs> I have a casual attitude about it. Now, I don't like the results, right? We might not like the results that, that sin causes in our lives at times. Do we have a casual attitude about it? When God was, was telling the children of Israel that he was going to give them the promised land, as they were going into these lands, God said he wanted to destroy all of the Canaanites. And Pastor Sam did a great job the last, uh, last week talking about the ites, and before that as well. If you haven't heard those messages, go on the website, ncctyler.org. Go under sermons, and you can hear the past sermons. God never wants ites in your life. God told Israel that he wanted to destroy the Canaanites, not because they were so good, but because he couldn't stand the sin that was in their camp. God doesn't have a casual attitude towards sin. Solomon, once again, he was the wisest, 
He was the richest. He was the most famous. He was the most powerful king on the earth. But he had a casual attitude about sin. And it says of him at the end of his life in 1 Kings 11.4 that his heart was turned after other gods and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. If we give ourselves permission to flirt with sin while still trying to to follow God, we're going to fail just like Solomon did. So are are there areas in our lives? Are there areas in our lives that we know are not God honoring But we're just allowing them to stay there. And we even start to justify them. You ever made excuse for your own issues? (laughs) I have. I ate a donut this morning. And my justification was my daughter made me do it. We begin to justify. Well, because they treated me this way, I can act this way. But God doesn't look at it that way. We deal with our our own heart and our own lives. There's a reason it's called a personal relationship with God. It's between me and Him. So don't justify these little areas that we know that God does not want us to To have in our hearts and have in our lives. Don't let that become the little beetle that that eats out the goodness that's inside of us. Don't justify those things. Whatever it may be. I don't have to sit up here and go down a list of, of things. What is God saying to your heart? What what does God put his finger on? In those moments when he's ministering to you. The more we allow the high places in our heart, the more our love for God slips away. Second question. Am I focusing on eliminating sin or on submitting to God? Am I focusing on eliminating sin or am I focusing on submitting to God? Listen, sin is not defeated by focusing on getting rid of it. If we could do that, we probably would have already done it ourselves, right? If our willpower was that that great... We probably would have dealt with it already in our own hearts and in our own lives. But the enemy absolutely gets us focused on the sin instead of focused on God anyway. And the only way that we're going to get free from something is focusing on God. It's not focusing on, oh, if I could just stop this. If I could just stop doing this one thing. 
then I could love God or God would love me. But that's really kind of unscriptural. And I just jumped around on these guys, and I'm sorry. But this is, this is what happens when you start preaching a message that you weren't ready to preach. I actually took my, my, my third point, and I put it up as my second point. My second point is now going to be my third point. But it didn't happen until I was sitting right down there. So I'm trying to give these guys opportunity to find my scriptures. That, that happens to be in James. There's two of them out of James. Actually, the same scripture, but the first uh, one comes first. Y'all with me? All right, okay. Notice how I slid that in there and y'all didn't even notice. I'm a professional. In James 4, 7, the second half of that scripture says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I've tried hard in the past to resist. But quite often, I've overlooked the first part of the scripture. And the first part of the scripture out of James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, submitting yourself to God comes before the resisting. If we're doing all of the resisting before we've submitted ourselves to God, what we're doing is trying to work out our own righteousness through our own strength. Trying to do it ourselves. And God didn't create us to do it ourselves. God paid a high price to do it for us. Thank God. So what he's saying is submit. Submit your heart. Submit your life. Submit these areas that I know are not honoring to God. Submit them to him. Then he's going to give me the strength, the power, to resist the devil. Instead of me just running around going, I'm resisting the devil. I'm resisting the devil. Resisting the devil. Resisting really, really hard. Oh, but the devil's winning. The devil's winning. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resisting without submitting just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Even if, even if we have a moment where we seem to get a little bit of victory over something, once again, we've done it in our own street, and the enemy just comes right around and he gets us caught up in pride. Look what I've done. <laughs> He's a sneaky little booger. He will look for any way he can to catch you. So question number three. Do I allow previous failures to stop me? As I was pondering this message, really before I was even studying it to be a message, I'm studying, just studying in the Word. You know, this really is one of those that just flat came out of my own personal study time. And I begin to see these kings. And as I studied, each and every one of those kings that didn't pull down the high places, they had trouble. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to have that kind of trouble. I don't want it to be said of me that, well, you know, he followed God, but he never took care of this. 
He never dealt with this in his heart. You know, he never dealt with, 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 with being a cowboy fan. That's just, that's just one of those places that I, I, I'm sorry. If that's my high place, I'm still a Longhorn fan. They lost three in a row. I'm, I'm still a Longhorn fan. You be quiet. You be quiet. <laughs> Do I allow previous failures to stop me? And I, I was asking the Lord, what are my high places? You ever get just real honest with God? You, I, don't, I don't ever stand up here and try to, to give you some spiritual instruction that I'm not willing to take myself. Amen. So as I was praying, I was like, Lord, what's my high place? And you know that God was waiting on you to ask that question when he starts to answer before you even get it out of your mouth. Before I had even put the question mark on the end, he was already speaking. I said, Lord, what's my high place? He said, regret. 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 Lord, I didn't realize I worshiped regret. Oh, yeah, but look back on how much you've whined about it. <laughs> Last weekend at, uh, at Kairos, Miss Tristy Hooper over here taught a fantastic message Amen. on regret. I was standing out there in the, in the foyer. And the service was getting started. I was on the phone. And I was, the service was getting started. And I looked up on the screens and saw what she was teaching about. And I was like, I got in here fast. Because it was just the day before that the Lord had, had showed me. This is what I was dealing with was regret. And she made a statement. I'm going to quote her. I believe she said she was quoting somebody. But since I don't know who that was, I'm going to give her all of the credit for this. Okay. So if it sounds awesome, run up to her and say, wow, Tristy, you are so full of wisdom. She said, regret is our past crippling our future. Regret is our past crippling our future. What do we have to regret? I spend a lot of times going, God, I should be doing more. God, I've missed you in the past. God, I'm, I, I'm not doing enough. God, look at all these years that I feel like I have wasted. And the Lord began to show me that. And he goes, don't you know that I knew exactly where you would be right where you are this very day why are you worried about what didn't happen yesterday? But a lot of us have regret over things that did happen yesterday. Mistakes that we've made, things that, that, that we've done. And we still continue to live in the condemnation and the shame of those things. There's a, a young lady that I know. 
that, and wow, she was just, it's hard to even talk about, but she, her mom got pregnant with her very, very young. And her mom was obviously very, very bright. Had her future planned out before her. And then she got pregnant. And from the moment that the baby was born, the mom projected all of her regret, her loss, everything that she thought that she should have been doing, she projected it onto her child. And told her, you're the reason I'm not doing this. You're the reason I didn't get here. You're the reason I don't have a good job. You're the reason. Regret will destroy us. And it will destroy those around you. That mom's regret was destroying her daughter. Regret is your past crippling your future. Have you ever tried to break something and then failed at it? You ever have, have spiritual regret over, well, I've tried to break this sin in my life before and it didn't work. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like this. When I was very young in my, my relationship with the Lord... I figured out that if I was going to spend time with God, it was going to be in the morning. And I've continued that pattern in my life. But it just wasn't going to happen. If I went to school and I went to work and I got home, it just didn't work well for me at night. Now, I'm not saying for anybody else. I'm just talking for me. That I was going to have to get up early in the morning get up earlier in the morning if I was going to spend some time with God. And I can remember those days when I would say, okay, God, I'm going to get up at 7 a.m. And that seemed so early. <laughs> 7 a.m. I mean, I was a sophomore in college, just gotten saved. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to get up before class, before anything, and I'm going to spend time with you. And I would set my alarm clock, and it would go off at 7 a.m. Oh, and I was tired. I couldn't get my eyes open. And I would reach over, and what would I do? Hit the snooze button. That's right. Hit the snooze button. And on the inside, you're hearing that voice going, it's okay. God loves you. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You go back to sleep. Wake up an hour later, because I didn't turn, I didn't hit the snooze button, I turned the whole thing off. <laughs> I ain't getting up 10 minutes from now, are you kidding? I'd go back to sleep for an hour and wake up, have to rush to get to class. But as soon as you wake up, that same voice that was telling me it was okay that God loved me is going, you are sorry. You are a horrible person. What is wrong with you? And you say that you love Jesus? 
You ever hear voices like that? <laughs> Not talking about me, talking about you, okay? If you're hearing voices talking about me, we need to talk, though. <laughs> but it's kind of that way with, with regret, too. It's things that, that, that we've wanted to do, things that we've really wanted to get into, things we've really wanted to be free from, but we realize that I have tried. I have tried. I have tried, Lord. I have tried. And I fail and I fail and I fail. And that voice comes and says, why are you even trying? Why are you even trying anymore? Just give up and go on. But that's not the heart of God. That is not the heart of God. From Solomon, there was not another king for hundreds of years until we get to Hezekiah that fully followed God. All these other kings, the few kings that did truly follow God, that followed God but didn't pull down the high places, there was disaster that ha happened. Yet here comes Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Hundreds of years these high places have been there. Hundreds of years. Yet he didn't let other people's failures or other people's inabilities to connect with God keep him from connecting with God. If you've got your eyes on people, they're always going to fail you. If you're looking for somebody else to live this life of Jesus for you, they're always going to let you down. But you've got to set in your heart that even if your mom went to church and it didn't work for her, my grandparents went to church, didn't work for them, Whatever it was, I'm not going to be moved by the failures of the past. My family's failures or my failures, I am not going to be moved by that. That's right. God is big enough. God is great enough to overcome anything and everything that we might be dealing with. So just like those small beetles that we started talking out about, that we began speaking about, I know there's areas in my life, these high places, they may be small, they may seem big. Hey, I'm, I'm hoping that nobody killed anybody last night because if I use this example, I, you know, I'd, I'd hate to alienate anybody that may have murdered somebody last night, okay? But we, we look at these, well, I didn't kill somebody. God, I'm okay. Right? And I'm glad you didn't kill somebody. But did we judge somebody? Did we use this God-given ability that we have to talk about somebody? Are you the biggest gossip in the church? 
It's not that just everybody wants to run to you and tell you all their problems. They want to come <laughs> talk about things. That's not good. That's not good. It always surprises me sometimes. There's going to be that one person in the church. God bless you. We love you. But that one person that comes up to me and says, well, you know, so-and-so did this and said this and had this. And I'm like, how do you know this whole story? And how did you know everybody else's story last week? It's the same person. Well, this happened. Well, this happened. Maybe it's not that you have discernment. Maybe you're a gossip. Okay? That is not a fruit of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? That is not where God wants us to go. I'm glad you didn't murder anybody, but keep your trap shut. Maybe God wants to deliver you from that great big thing that's right up here. Maybe God wants to deliver you before you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Maybe God wants to show you the, the reason that you talk about everybody else is to make you feel better about you. We have high places. Some are big, some might not seem so big, but God does not have a casual attitude towards sin. God, God doesn't justify it. God doesn't say, well, that one's okay. You know, we, we, we like to weigh sin on a scale. Well, this one's murder and this one's tiny little lie way up here, right? God doesn't have a casual attitude towards sin. You hear me? And it's not that God wants to beat on any of us. That's not the God that we serve. God wants you delivered so we can be closer to him. God's whole reason for any of this is so we can have a stronger, deeper, more passionate relationship with him. And he's going, hey, those high places, that's what's keeping you from me. Hey, those high places, that's the reason that, that you fail every time you start into this. Hey, that regret... That pride, that fear, whatever it may be, whatever your trigger point is, that is not honoring God, God says, let's tear it down. And that's what Hezekiah did. Those, those two kings that taught, tore down the high places, they didn't just go up there and go, hey, we're not going to do this anymore, guys, okay? We don't want to be doing this anymore. Let's stop. That's not what they did. It says that they went up to these high places. It says that they chopped, chopped them down. It says they burned them down. It says that they ground them to powder. These idols and these poles and these places ground them to powder and scattered them. There was one king that went and tore down the altar to Baal. And it says he turned it into a latrine. And that's what God wants to do with our high places. He doesn't want there to be any, any residue left 